It's time for another edition of Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts, and let's start things up this week by bringing in Jim Tarabokia, the voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays, as we talk some Florida State League action. The DJs find themselves in the midst of wrapping up their season, and they received some accolades as well. Jim, let's begin with this. Congratulations to the Florida State League Pitcher of the Year, Patrick Murphy. Yeah, we got a chance to see him pitch yesterday. Unfortunately, he was in a doubleheader. I don't like to see, um, you know, Murph. We've seen that a couple of times this year. I don't like seeing him pitch in a doubleheader because I think it kind of shortchanges everybody of how long he can go into a game. And, you know, usually when he pitches in that doubleheader like that, um, his pitch count is, is slashed uh, at least a quarter of the way. So, um, uh, you know, but again, he pitched well yesterday, and it was a lot of fun seeing him. And I've said this uh, this year, and I've said this before a lot, uh, about Patrick Murphy, I think the biggest thing with him is, and coming into the year, it was he has to stay healthy. And how is he going to? This is a test for him. How is he going to navigate and stay healthy in the Florida State year, uh, State League all year long? I think that's a reason as to why. And I'm just guessing here, but I'm, I think that's a reason as to why he wasn't brought up to the Double A level full time, because they're trying to figure out if he can if he can stay healthy in what is a very tough league weather wise, and if he can if he can get better as the season went along. And he not only got better, but he showed how durable he could be when he is healthy. So uh, this is a huge award to get the pitcher of the year uh, in what is a very good and notoriously good pitcher's league of the Florida State League. And, um, you know, not making the playoffs obviously was a tough pill to swallow. But to have Murphy win that award um, was really cool. And it's, and it's uh, a real positive um, to, uh, to the season here. Uh, and, and it's a positive to cap off the end of the year. Was there a Murphy start this year in particular that really opened up your eyes? You know, not one, uh, to be honest. There was a couple, though, that you say um, this kid really has something here. And he's getting – and like I said, that was it was more so starting in June and really going on for the rest of the summer. I mean, since June 1st, he leads the league in ERA. So, really, it was starting in June. There was one particular start, Jesse. I can't remember. Uh, it was in June, though. And he snapped off a curveball that was arguably the best curveball I've seen in two years here uh, from a minor leaguer. It, it really was, was truly special. So, um, you know, to, to, to see his development um, just overall, I can't name one start, but there was a few starts there that you said to yourself, and I think Mark Riggins, our pitching coach, would say the same thing, that you say to yourself, this kid's got something real special here. Let's talk about some of your other postseason All-Stars. Who are you anticipating – and were you surprised or unsurprised by Joshua Palacios and Ivan Castillo? I, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, I, I still don't think Ivan Castillo gets the <laughs> – and him and Rodrigo Orozco are getting the recognition that they deserve. Um, I, you know, again, I said this a couple weeks back, they're two guys who certainly should have been in consideration for the Arizona Fall League. First of all, Ivan Castillo has double-A experience as well, and – you know, with what him and Rodrigo have done here in the second half, uh, it really has been fun to watch. Now, um, I, I'm not so much surprised with Ivan Castillo. I'm not surprised with Palacios. Um, he got off to a great start, struggled in May, but really since June, he's been um, very steady Eddie. And he leads the league in hits, which uh, to me is – it fits great, okay? I mean, it, obviously. and I mean, he leads the league by – I mean, he's in that first leader spot. I think 13 more hits than Diego Castillo on the leaderboard uh, of Tampa. Um, that's not, a, you know, that's, that's great. That's not what is as remarkable to me though, you know, getting a lot of it back. Not again, not taking anything away from him. still to have that many hits is, is, is excellent. But the thing that is remarkable to me about Palacios, and this is why he does, he certainly deserves to be on the team is the fact that he leads the league and he's batted in the leadoff spot. I think, in all but four games he's played this year, he leads the league in RBIs from the leadoff spot. I mean, that, that says something about a guy. He can really hit with runners in scoring position. In fact, he leads the league hitting with runners in scoring position and leads the league with the most RBIs with the bases loaded. I mean, this kid's just clutch. There's nothing more you can say about him. And you know this from when you saw him in the second half last year when he was healthy. So um, That second uh, half know, last just, year was dominant. And I just got done talking with Palacios down there uh, for a quick clip for our pregame uh, on the radio tonight. And 
just to hear him talk about it as a pro, he's, he is such a smart kid when it comes to baseball. And it, he's going to be a good coach one day when he when he retires at age 51. He told me he's going to play to 49 like Julio Franco. So, um, you know, I, I, I say, you know what, he looks great. He's in great shape. Uh, I think he's going to play till he's 54. But uh, especially with, you know, how you know life is nowadays and technology and, and all this cool stuff. So, um, you know, I, I'm not surprised, though, to answer your question, to bring it all the way back. I'm not surprised that those two guys got the, uh, got the award, especially with how uh, Yvonne Castillo hit all his home runs here in the second half, hitting over uh, 300 in the second half, and with what Palacios has done, the RBIs in the leadoff spot, um, uh, the amount that he has is, is really remarkable. I'm looking forward to seeing both those guys at the AA level next year and what they can do. How has it been having Josh Donaldson? You know, it's been it's been good. I seen him hit a home run yesterday. It was a, a long shot here, over the wall in left center field. It's you know it's been good. I I really haven't spoken with him, haven't really seen him or, or you know talked to him. But uh, there's always when the big leaguers come down, it's it's always you know it's always a big buzz. Um, it brings us, it brings a buzz to uh you know to Dunedin and uh you know depending on if he's here or not um you know who knows I don't know if he's here or not you know this weekend um you know uh, with fan appreciation tomorrow big crowd expected tonight it's going to bring even more of a buzz so it's it's always cool. Let's wrap things up with this. Your final thought for this week. Yeah, it's it's simply this, and it's kind of sad, but it's true. Uh, it's the end of an era on uh, on Sunday. Because, um, uh, don't worry, you're not getting rid of me. So, <laughs> sorry, I hate to tell your audience, break the news to your audience, but uh, um, it's the final Dunedin Blue Jays home game ever in this ballpark. And, you know, the field's obviously going to be a little bit the same, but not even, even, not, not even that with the renovations because the walls are being uh, moved in um, and left and, and right field to match the Rogers Center uh, distance. Uh, so the field's going to be different. The ballpark's going to be different. Um, it's going to look completely atmosphere and the look is going to be completely different. I'll tell you a quick story. I went to the um, Joker Martian stadium before it was renovated when I was still in college. And um, I, I got a chance the last two years to go there uh, a lot, um, <clears throat> you know, to, to, to call games and whatnot. And um, seeing that ballpark and how much it's changed, it's like a completely different place. You don't even remember that last, how the last place looked. And that's the way this ballpark's going to be. So it's a, while it's exciting that the new ballpark's on its way, and I'm going to talk about this on the air tomorrow, it's the end of an era for this, for this ballpark and for the Dunedin Blue Jays playing in this ballpark. And while there's been a lot of great moments and a lot of great prospects to come through, the last two years has been a blast. And um, to, to win that championship last year and to see some of the guys and their talent that they have this year come through – it, it really, it, it, and again, just two years, it, it really, uh, it, it, it brings uh, back a lot of memories, and uh, it's something I'm going to look back on someday very, very fondly. Um, and, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm here uh, calling games in the, in the new ballpark, um, certainly I'm going to, you know, remember those great times we had in the old ballpark and, and some of the great guys we've met and, and the, the teams that we've had here. So uh, it's the end, uh, you know, end of an era Sunday, last Sunday in Blue Jays home game ever here at this ballpark. And uh, while it's sad, um, we're, we're all looking forward to the future, but also trying to take in the present and enjoy the present as much as possible. A fine note and a pointed note on perspective. Jim Tarabokia, the voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays, who are wrapping things up over the weekend, and they finish things on Sunday. Uh, Jim, thank you very much. We'll check back in with you next week just to put a bow on this season as a whole, all right? Hey, you got it, Jesse. Have a good one, buddy. Beautiful. And from Jim in Dunedin, let me go up the ladder up to New Hampshire and bring in Tyler Zickel to talk about the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Tyler, congratulations on going to the playoffs this year. Jesse, thank you very much. The playoff-bound New Hampshire Fisher Cats playing postseason baseball for the first time since 2011. If you can't tell, we're just a little bit excited here in the Granite State. So it's going to be a very fast-paced, breakneck speed, kind of three weeks coming up. But we're all ready for it and looking forward to uh, staying in the moment. Let's relive a very important moment. 2-2 two, two pitch, swung on and flied out to right field. This one's got a chance. Uring is at the wall. Say goodbye. A three-run home run from Max Pentecost. He sends it over the fence, and he might have just sent the Fisher Cats to the postseason. 
9-7 New Hampshire in the bottom of the eighth inning. Zick, how electrifying was that home run? Jesse, electrifying might be the most pedestrian way to describe it. First and foremost, Tyler Murray, he has yet to miss a big call all season long. I'll tell you, he did the inside-the-park walk-off home run for John Birdie. We've had Vlad go off the hotel. Another cycle at home for Jonathan Davis. Tyler Murray has nailed every single call. And I'm not just saying that because he's sitting here in the room with me here in New Hampshire, but seriously, listening to that call takes me back to arguably the biggest swing of the 2018 season. I already mentioned that Vlad home run off the hotel earlier this year, but that one was cool to see. This one meant so much, and for a guy like Max Pentecost to have that moment, a guy who struggled in the first half of the season, but once the All-Star break was over, he returned and has been batting nearly 375 since the break and is on a torrid stretch of late in which he hasn't hit in 18 of his last 19. He is the right guy in the right spot, and I couldn't have thought of a better guy to hit that home run when it was needed in a real back-and-forth game and back-and-forth series. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies, our opponent that night, had beaten the Cats up all season long and played them tough, but to get that win and then to win the day after to complete a series victory and clinch that playoff spot couldn't have been better. We've got the regular season to wrap up. I just spoke with Jim Tarabokia, and the note, the final note, took on a tinge of the past. Let's talk about the future with you. There's the playoffs on the horizon, but then after that, there's the Arizona Fall League, and we know some of the guys going to the AFL. You specifically know some of the guys. What were your thoughts? First and foremost, no surprise, especially when we talk about Vlad, Bo, and Kevin getting the opportunity to play this fall out in the desert. I think everybody could have guessed that if they had been asked to choose three prospects in the Blue Jays system to get to that opportunity who had yet to compete in that type of scenario, and so those are the three. But then also uh, Jackson 6 and Jackson 7 to complete the uh, Jackson family. Uh, Zach Jackson and Jackson McClellan doing their thing as well. And it's been great to see Jackson McClellan in the last couple of weeks after he got promoted from Dunedin, that power fastball that he mixes up with that great breaking ball, and to have him come in as such a dominating presence, not just with his abilities and his pitches, but just the body type that he has, this tall, well-built guy out there on the mound, the intimidation factor certainly in effect. And Zach Jackson is in the midst of some of his best stretch of the year on the bump for himself. Walks had kind of been the problem for him this season, kind of his kryptonite as he continued to strike batters out with some serious frequency. But of late, Zach has kept the walks down, and that's certainly something you have to do if you want to be successful in the postseason. So, of course, Vlad and Cabin, they're going to do great. Looking forward to those guys doing their thing. But to see Zach Jackson and Jackson McClellan get the chance, all the better for those two. What do you think of Kevin Biggio going to the outfield? Any place to get his bat in the order, Jesse, I think is worth exploring. So if that's as an outfielder, if that's as a DH someday, so be it. But Kevin is a guy who, when runners are on base, he is going to make something happen. No wonder he leads the league in RBI, of course, the team leader as well, and one of the highest RBI totals in AA. And in, with runners in scoring position, as I look at the game notes in front of me, batting 339, which says something about that clutch quotient that you need from a guy who bats in the middle of the order. So whatever it takes for him to get those at-bats and to make sure that he can come through with runners on base on offense, if he's got to play right field, as he has just a couple of times with the Cats and will continue to do so this fall, I say he should. It's, it's the very end of the year. Is this the best that Bo Bichette has looked all season? I think that's a pretty great approximation, to be honest with you, Jesse. Definitely Bo has had a bit of a coming out since Vlad was officially promoted to AAA, and I certainly think Bo rises to the occasion when he is that guy in a lineup. And so over the last four-week stretch, and maybe if you want to shrink it down to three weeks, he has had so many nights where he's had at least two hits. I think he's in the midst of a five- or six-game stretch with multi-hits, and many of them three-hit performances in a row. So for Bo to have this kind of uptick in production at the end of the season, after a first two months, maybe middle part of the year, where I know he was frustrated with some of his results after being the minor league batting average champ one season ago, he has high expectations for himself. He's probably the hardest on himself than anybody else. And so for Bo to have this late-season success, not only has it been helping the Cats prospects, but it's also going to help Bo as he continues his ascension towards the big leagues because we have to remember, at 20 years old, and Jesse, you experienced it when he was 19, You know, he's a kid who still has a lot to experience in life, and I think with all of the responsibilities and all the pressure and all the limelight that's placed on him, he's handled it with certainly a maturity that belies his years and for him to have this kind of talent output at the end of the season certainly speaks volumes to his continued not just professional development but personal and character development as well 
Tyler Zickel with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Thank you very much for your time this week. Jesse, thanks very much. Happy to be nesting with you on the last day of August, and cheers to the one last gasp of this 2018 uh, regular season. All right, beautiful. This is another edition of Around the Nest. Yesterday we caught up with New Hampshire and Dunedin, and so today we're going to get you caught up with the rest of the ladder. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strasser, and it's time to go jay-talking around the organization. We'll catch up with Bluefield. The Appalachian League playoffs are underway. Game one played yesterday. Meanwhile, Pat Malacara will check in from AAA Buffalo. Vancouver uh, has it going on right now. The Canadians are in the midst of a playoff race. They're trying to make the postseason, but right now things are tight with only three games to go in the year, and we'll hear from Jordy Cunningham. And lastly, we'll hear from Dante DiCaria and the Lansing Lugnuts as they wrap up the regular season, and they get everything all set for the first round of the postseason beginning on Wednesday. But we begin with the voice of the Carolina Mudcats, Greg Young Jr. As a matter of fact, his league broadcaster of the year this year. Plus, we'll get to hear about Demi Oramaloy. But Greg, first, thank you very much for giving of your time and congratulations for being named the league broadcaster of the year well thank you very much and thank you very much for for having me on it's uh it's it's an honor to to be able to join and uh talk a little baseball with you but uh yeah i appreciate it it uh it it's it's always good to have that kind of respect you know shown by your peers and it it certainly felt good and uh it's it's been a fun season excellent and i grew up on uh, in maryland so carolina league remained close to my heart let me ask you about Demi Oramaloy. The Blue Jays acquired him for Curtis Granderson in the swap with the Milwaukee Brewers. So, who are they getting in Demi Oramaloy? Uh, they're getting a, a great young man, I will tell you that. Um, you know, the, the times that I had a chance to talk to Demi, a uh, very uh, thoughtful young man, um, a very good outlook on, on the, just the day-to-day of it all, uh, very relaxed, very calm. Uh, was never a guy that, that seemed to allow the, uh, the the grind of the season to overwhelm him. I'll, I'll tell you that. But as far as on the baseball field is concerned, you know, he's a guy with a, a tremendous blend of, of power and speed. Uh, he plays at a very good center field, at least did with us, and it can be difficult here at our ballpark and uh, in Eastern North Carolina. It's, it's a rather large uh, ballpark here, and uh, there's a lot of ground to cover in center field, and he certainly covered it well. Um, we actually joked our uh, director of multimedia on, on Twitter had, had kind of nicknamed him Diving Demi uh, because of his ability to go out and get balls, make sliding catches, and the diving grabs, and make them look easy. Uh, tremendous athlete, again, uh, good power of, uh, good blend of power and speed. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks have seen the, the video clips of him here uh, hitting home runs. You know, He hit seven home runs in the second half with us and did about the same type of uh, uh, power numbers in the first half in in the Midwest League with the uh, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, where he was a uh, midseason All Star, but uh, just a fantastic talent. You know, he's a, a very toolsy player. Uh, didn't hit for a high average necessarily here. His strikeouts were up once he arrived here in the uh, the, the High A uh, Carolina League, coming up from Low A Wisconsin at the midseason break. But um, he was a guy that uh, when he did put it in play, he was able to really pull the ball well. And, and hit it for power. He also showed some power the opposite way toward the, the latter part of the season, just before essentially his trade, where uh, the, the the day that he was traded last night, as we record this, uh, he had just extended his hitting streak to 11 consecutive games, and he was spraying the ball all over the place uh, during the process of that. But he was also a guy that uh, you know was able to get on the bases and, and run a little, and uh, total some steals for us too. So. Uh, fantastic talent. I'd say that the only thing as far as uh, on the five-tool side of things, his arm was a little bit off at times, uh, overall accuracy and trying to catch guys on the bases here with us. But I think that's something that you know certainly you can build on and get better with. But outside of that, uh, he does just about everything well. And a uh, very exciting player to watch. And I think the Blue Jays are, are going to be happy to have him. What was the reaction with the Mudcats when everyone found out that he had been the one traded? Uh, you know, it happened actually during the game. Um, so it happened as he was about to step into the on-deck circle as the bases were about to be loaded. Uh, so it ended up being that it happened in the eighth inning. Um, we had the bases loaded, and uh, suddenly uh, word had been received from the clubhouse that Demi needed to come out of the game. There really wasn't a, a reason given initially. Uh, obviously, you know, at that point, no one really knows exactly what's going on except for the ones who are directly involved in the phone conversation or what have you that takes place you know, on the higher-up side between the Blue Jays and the Brewers. But, you know, word was passed along that there's a potential where, you know, obviously there's a trade that might be in the mix. Uh, this particular player needs to sit. So they contacted our dugout, and uh, Demi was pulled. He didn't know at all what was going on. 
uh, at first, but uh, eventually would sit down. They put in a pinch hitter, which was a little bit odd because he had been so hot lately, and he had a hit in his first at bat uh, in that game, had a double to right. But, uh, you know, bases loaded. The game was out of hand. It was, I think, 12 and nothing at that point or 11 and nothing. But um, still a big moment. Eighth inning, bases loaded with a guy who's been hot, a chance maybe to, to maybe get a second grand, sl- uh, grand slam of the season with us. But all of a sudden he was pulled, and I don't think anybody really knew exactly what was going on. But uh, eventually I think the players kind of received word and kind of pieced things together. So a lot of them, from what I was told, uh, from some of the staff that was down there nearby watching uh, the camera crew and what have you, they were talking about that the players were sort of coming up and, you know, wishing them all the best and saying, you know, you're obviously headed into maybe a better situation. So uh, take uh, comfort in that, that type of thing. But um, yeah, manager Ayrault said that he got word, had to make the move immediately. And from there, he kind of had a contingency plan in place as far as if he needed to make a late change in case something like that did occur. Uh, not that I think he had kind of an idea that something might, but just in case, uh, he had kind of a sequence of events that would happen as far as moving players around to compensate. So uh, he was ready, and, and they took care of the change immediately. We actually ended up getting a run at that point. The, the player who had pinched it for him, Trevor Morrison, had a sack fly, so they got a run out of all that uh, when it was all said and done. Greg, that is a remarkable circumstance. I just pulled up your box score to see that's your only run of the game. It was what the only run of the game. Thinking? Yeah, you know, I, it, it was a weird game because it was it was out of hand at that point. So, honestly, I, it didn't really click in my mind that that would be the reason why he was coming out. And I had seen all the trades at that point that the Brewers were involved in. But um, just with, with everything that was going on, uh, it, there was also a circumstance where we had a catcher that pitched the ninth inning, the following inning at that point. So, in all honesty, when I saw him come out, I thought that maybe it was part of a double switch, and that was the way to uh, to get the catcher, the position player, to pitch in the ninth inning. So, that's kind of where my mind went at first, but uh, as all the, the changes occurred, it kind of became more uh, obvious that uh, that was not the case, and that uh, Oral Malloy had been uh, pulled for, for reasons that uh, were a little bit out of the ordinary. Greg Young Jr., the Carolina League Broadcaster of the Year, and the word on Demi Oramaloy, just acquired by the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for Curtis Granderson. On Twitter, at Greg Young Jr., pretty simple as that. Greg, thank you very much for your time, and thank you very much for your report on Demi. All the best. Yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. All right. And from Greg, joined by Alexis Brudnicki, who has worked and written and reported for many different outlets the majority of which, if you have not read, probably don't follow baseball. She's worked big time with Baseball Canada. She's covered baseball all over Earth. And thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. All right. Demi Ormoloy, when did you first meet him? I first met Demi with the Canadian Junior National Team. So he was 15 years old. Uh, just getting his feet wet as a junior national team member and quickly became one of the most interesting stories because he's from Nigeria and here he is playing for the Canadian national team. He was a, he always has been kind of a physical specimen and I think it was just really exciting for him and for everyone else. And he definitely started out as a really shy guy. So it took a while to get to know a little bit more about him, but that was where I first kind of got to see him and got to know him. What's he like once you get through the shyness? Demi, I mean, he, I haven't seen him in a little while, but he's, he's just a normal, fun-loving, baseball-loving uh, kind of kid. He, it's actually awesome that I did get to know him so well because when I went to Major League Baseball Scout School, one of the scouting reports they used as an example was one that had been done on Demi when he was in high school. So for me, it really helped that it was someone I knew, had seen play a lot of baseball games, and could kind of look back at what was written on that scouting report and understand how to see those things because I had already seen them. So Demi actually helped me through scout school, whether he knows it or not. Uh, But (laughs) since then, he definitely has opened up a lot and just become a better player all around. Obviously, he's working his way through the minor league ranks. And I think it's a really exciting pickup for the Toronto Blue Jays for Curtis Granderson. This is a guy who has a really bright future and who could do some big things and I think kind of has gone lost over the last few years and even 
when he was in high school, he was always grouped with Josh Naylor. They were in the same draft. And then Mike Soroka came on really fast right before the draft. And he was always grouped with those guys. And I think that this has kind of, his minor league career has given him a chance to be his own player, be his own person, and make his own mark. And hopefully that's with the Toronto Blue Jays organization now. When I think about the profiles and the interviews that you do, you cover very much a player's journey, who they're about, what they're currently working on, the entire picture of what goes into them. So for Demi, what obstacles have been in his way along his path? Demi just had a lot of early success Um, as an athlete. He was very good at everything. I think it's probably maybe the right way to put it. He won like a football competition when he was 12 years old. Um, and he was just really good at sports along the way. And so maybe some of that need to work on certain things and understand that each tool can get better individually was a big factor for him. And I think he, he really did learn that even before the draft and he started to do it a lot and he's definitely gotten better since then. What were some of the best stories that you came across with him? I think Demi, obviously the most interesting thing about him is that he is from Nigeria. So his parents, Sagoon and Adenike, came to Ottawa, Canada's capital, to work for the government. And his mother had actually spent most of, I think, her early life living in England and then went to Nigeria And then when Demi was, I think, maybe 18 months old, he came to Canada with his parents um, who were working for the government, like I mentioned. And I think the best thing about him and his parents was kind of maybe even their lack of understanding of what Team Canada really meant. Uh, When Greg Hamilton, the director of national teams for Baseball Canada, first went to Demi and invited him to be on the team and went to his parents uh, and asked them because luckily their neighbors in Ottawa, uh, they kind of said, thank you, but no, thank you. And I don't, (laughs) obviously they didn't have an understanding of really what team Canada meant, what it could do for Demi and his future. And they just thought this was just another baseball team that was, I don't know, maybe trying to take their money or just trying to take him away from the team he was on and had no real understanding for a long time that national team program, first of all, is so hard to become a part of. And second of all, would open up our opportunities for him. And I really think that the deciding factor for them was when Greg started talking about college scholarships and Demi, before he did join the pro ranks, was committed to Oregon, a really good school, and it really impressed them. But I think the funniest thing was probably just that when he was invited to Team Canada, they were just kind of, no, thank you. We don't, we don't want to do that. Well, things ended up going all right for him with Team Canada, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely very well. He had three solid years on the junior national team and played alongside Josh Naylor and Mike Soroka, so they garnered a lot of attention. Other guys, too, like Miles Gordon, who you guys saw in the Midwest League this year, and so they obviously had a really amazing outfield, but for them, for them together, I think that it was just, so much fun to play and to be so good and to see each other and to compete with each other. And I just, I think it helps them all become better players. And it it was super exciting to watch. I think Mike and Demi and Josh were all on the cover of the tournament 12 program together. And uh, I, it's just been a fun journey to see where all of them are. Obviously Mike Soroka in the big leagues right now, uh, injured, unfortunately, but it's, it's just so great to, to see what they did together and what they've been able to do since then as well. What was your reaction when you found out that the Blue Jays have acquired Demi or Malloy for Curtis Granderson? I was excited. Uh, as a lot of people have mentioned, there's a lot of upside to Demi 
in that original scouting report, he what his player comparison was to Vladimir Guerrero, and I think that's more in terms of his body and his size than his hit ability. But he can really hit. He can hit for power, and he is super fast, especially for a guy of his size. And I think there's just so much there. Obviously, hitting is the most important tool. And it's a, it's a learning process along the way through the minor leagues. But there's so much potential in Demi because he's such an amazing athlete. He listens and understands his coaches. And he really is able to kind of put things together. And hopefully he can do that at the right time for the Blue Jays. But I think it's an exciting pickup, and especially for – kind of a guy that you didn't really expect to see beyond the rest of this season and Curtis Granderson. So this is, this is the future. And hopefully Demi is a part of that with the Toronto Blue Jays. Alexis, any final thoughts? I think this is just exciting. It's not because Demi is Canadian. I mean, he was a Midwest league all-star this year. He's in high A right now and he's found success. And I think he will continue to do that throughout his career Will it be smooth and easy? I don't know if it is that for anyone, but it's a really exciting pickup. And he, he, of course, is Canadian, so it's close to my own heart, but that's not the reason this is exciting. I think it just adds another layer. And I I think that Blue Jays fans should be really happy with this trade. Baseball Canada's Alexis Prudnicki, amongst so many other different things. Where would you want everything listed on your resume when being introduced? I definitely, my affinity for the Canadian baseball community, Baseball Canada, Canadian Baseball Network are definitely up top, so I really appreciate that. Um, but I work right now for an amateur, elite amateur program, um, the Great Lake Canadians, and I did spend eight year, eight seasons working with the Toronto Blue Jays organization. So, I do think the Canadian baseball thing is right at the top there, so I appreciate that. With the Great Lake Canadians, Alexis Prudnicki on Demi Oramaloy. Alexis, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Let me now bring in Dante DeCaria, and we're going to talk about his own insights, his own perspective into Demi Oramaloy. This is the fun of this. So you heard from Alexis and how she has gotten to know Demi. It's very different for Dante on a personal nature because he grew up playing against Demi. The two Ottawa natives and then getting back together at the Midwest League All-Star Game with Dante now with the Lansing Lugnuts, Demi representing the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. So, Dante, first your reaction when you found out the Blue Jays have traded Curtis Granderson and received Demi Ormoloy back in response. Well, Jesse, I'll take you right through the whole situation because uh... – we were uh, we were pretty much uh, together. Um, you had just left the broadcast booth. I was going down to the Lugnuts clubhouse to ask a few questions to our coaches based on the two ejections that happened in the game. And then all of a sudden, uh, you give me a call saying, hey, the Blue Jays are getting demi normalized for Curtis uh, Granderson. And, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, the little bit of the connection there. But um, I was just ecstatic. I was so happy. Um, just because, not, not only because he's from the same city that I was born in, we're both the same age, but um, just because he's um, he's Canadian, and uh, I think we need some more Blue Jays Canadians in the organization. And there's no question that the Blue Jays had scouted him, but it was just whether or not they were going to draft him in 2015, and they didn't because he was such a high prospect in terms of going into the draft at a high school. He signed in the fourth round um, for about 500000 and um and so when I first got the news, <laughs> I went into Cesar Martin's office and said, hey, do you remember that uh, left fielder in the All-Star game that played for Wisconsin that, that Maximo Castillo flipped, uh, got out at home plate with a nice flip on a grounder back to the mound? And he said, yeah, I do, the, the big guy, right? I said, yeah, well, he's from my city, and the Blue Jays just acquired him for Granderson. And, and Tony Castro, the pitching coach, was in the room, so we had a conversation about that, and I was really happy, and then, Chavez Young was around, and I mentioned it to Chavi, and obviously he was happy because they met each other at the All-Star game and had a, had a connection right there. Um, and then uh, I think the last guy that I mentioned it to that I had a conversation was with Maximo Castillo because he threw him out at home plate. And I said, hey, he's in our organization now. And so um, it was really cool to just kind of be down there and talk with some of the guys about it. And 
um, I was just, uh, I, I had a grin from ear to ear, Jesse. I was, I was really happy. Um, and, uh, and, you know, on my drive home, I, I, I got a lot of texts from my friends in Ottawa that had played either against them or with them in Little League. And uh, they were, you know, sending all caps, Demi's coming to the Blue Jays and stuff like that. And, and then question marks, is he coming to Lansing? And I was like, no, I don't know. <laughs> what was the first time that you personally met Demi? The first time I ever met him was at the All-Star game. And it had been, you know, a few years that I had been wanting to meet him. I, I'd say ever since probably grade 10 or grade 11, I had known about him when I was playing baseball at eight, nine years old and growing up in Ottawa just because there was, um, there was no, uh, you know, it was just Little League and everybody played against each other. He was Orleans, which is on the western side of Ottawa, and I was East Nepean, which is on the eastern side of Ottawa. And... East Nepean and Orleans didn't really play each other a lot, but in summer ball we did. So I remember seeing him at, at, you know, a young age, eight, nine years old, and knowing that he had talent and that he hit every ball out of the ballpark. He was that good. But at that point, I never knew that he was going to be a, a professional baseball player and was going to be drafted. Now, as I got older, more and more of my friends moved up. I wasn't good enough. I stayed at the lower levels. And so they played with him, with some of my friends being from Orleans. And, um, and, you know, I believe I actually went to school with a few people that went to school with him as well. Um, but again, um, they, so they moved up and, uh, I had heard about him and I knew about him. And then once I got to about grade 11, um, my, uh, my gym teacher, my, my teacher, one of my teachers at school had played AAA and he was one of his coach. And so he had told me about him as well. And so ever since I was like 15 or 16 years old, I just wanted to meet, Demi Ormoloy, and so I, um, you know, this year I had one of my ch- a chance to meet him, and uh, we we're at the All Star Game uh, party, like the pregame party, for for the Midwest League All Star Game, and he was standing there, and I walked up and I said, "Hey, my name is Dante DeCaria. Uh we're the same age, and I'm from Ottawa, Ontario." And he turned around and was like, "What? Like, you know, like, what do you mean?" <laughs> he he never would have thought that he would have met someone that's the same age as him that would have mutual connections growing up at uh, the Midwest League All-Star Game. So that was really cool. How did the rest of your conversation go? Um, we, we talked off and on for the, uh, for the next three days at the All-Star Game. The, the pregame party, we talked a bit just about, um, you know, where we went to school. I went, I went to St. Patrick's High School. He went to St. Matthew's High School in Orleans, which is two different sides of the city. <laughs> but he was like, hey, I know this guy from St. Pat's. I was like, yeah, that was one of my buddies. And then I'm like, I know this guy. I, I went to school with uh, in, in college radio with uh, this guy who went to St. Matt's and he's the same age as you. And he was like, yeah, I know him. I was in the same class as him and stuff like that. So like we, um, we had those mutual connections and we just talked about like, you know, Ottawa and ba- Canadian baseball and, and just like getting to know each other, which was really cool. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the next day we uh, asked uh, if I could interview him, I interviewed him. Then I asked if he could have a picture and I took a picture of him. Um, he gave me his phone number. We, you know, have each other on Twitter and stuff like that. So um, it's really cool. Um, and I've, I've talked to him once since then, but uh, that's about it. But I'm definitely going to reach out to him and say, hey, like, welcome to the Jays. It's, it's uh, you know, it's going to be a pleasure to have you in the organization. Dante, thank you very much. Hey, Jesse, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy about this trade. Let me bring in Pat Malacaro now, the voice of the herd. Pat, how are you? I'm great, Jesse. Finishing out the season here in uh, Syracuse, New York. So uh, the Bison, unfortunately, their playoff chances went by the wayside earlier this week, but trying to finish out on a strong note the final three days. Let's talk about some things. Let's talk about, as we conclude this season, let's begin with Jonathan Davis. There was just a great article written by John Lott for The Athletic about J.D.'s bond with Anthony Alford and their wives and their families your thoughts as we wrap things up on what you've seen from JD. Yeah. And I thought that was uh, very well written as, as is the norm for John. And I enjoyed reading it and I encourage everybody to, um, if, you, if you have a subscription to the athletic, um, Dave, Jonathan Davis over the last couple of weeks has really put a nice string together. He over the last homestand for the Bisons at one point hit safely in eight straight at bats, which was actually, uh, a record in the modern era that goes back to 1985 for the Bisons. And he reached base in nine straight plate appearances, including a hit-by-pitch in that string 
so he was one actually one at uh, plate appearance off from tying a record set by Matt Hag in his MVP season back a couple of years ago. He's put together a nice string here, and he's a guy that I'm sure everybody, if you've if you've seen Blue Jay players up the organizational ladder, he's a guy that has almost no regard for his own safety. He'll go out, he'll go crashing into the wall, he'll awkwardly jump and dive and leap for uh, the baseball. And I think that's the thing that really endears him the most maybe to this organization is um, he is a guy that he's not the biggest, he's not the tallest, he's not going to hit the most whatever, but he's going to give you everything he has, even if it means him sacrificing his, his own body. So I think for Davis, for him to come up to AAA after having a all-star season as a midseason all-star in the Eastern League, he definitely has proved that he is worthy of it, has earned it, and I think it will be a nice piece for the Bisons come 2019. What have you seen from Reese McGuire now that Danny Jansen has gone up to the major leagues? For Reese, I think it's been getting consistent at bats lately, and the numbers will say that he's had an okay season, even admittingly. He has had a below um, his standard for, for the season this year. But I think uh, his abilities behind the plate are shown on a nightly, nightly basis. And working with a pitching staff that has seen a lot of turnover and a lot of different parts moved in and out of the rotation and bullpen, I think having a guy like Reese back there who, even though he's in his first AAA season, uh, is kind of a steadying force behind the plate, really has been good for this team. And he's another guy that I think, when you move into 2019, if Reese can start off hotter than he did last year, and I don't think that's hard to do, um, hitting around 200 over the first nearly two months of the season this year, if Reese can get off to a better start in 2019, I think that will really um, push him back in the forefront of Blue Jay fan minds in terms of being a good one-two punch with Danny Jansen potentially uh, as a big league battery mate uh, in terms of you know, I think Jansen probably at this point is still probably on the radar of being the everyday catcher very soon for the Blue Jays. But if you have a guy like Reese with his defensive skills able to spot Danny every couple of days, I think uh, that would be very nice for the Blue Jays in, in a couple of years. With Pat Malacaro talking about the herd, the Blue Jays AAA affiliate, the Buffalo Bisons this week also gave out all of their postseason awards. So Danny Jansen, for example, the Stan Barron MVP, John Reed Foley, Jason Lovelabijian, Connor Fisk. Brandon Compton also honored. Who stands out to you among those postseason honorees? To me, Sean Reed Foley does, because I was interested to see what he was going to bring to the table when he joined the Bisons uh, in the middle of May, in late May. And talking to him a little bit, understanding his situation, and, and knowing that he expected more of himself coming into 2018 to get back to being on the forefront of Blue Jays, uh, front office uh, personnel in terms of being a prospect and then for him to go out and pitch the way he has for this Bison team this year um, the expectation is he'll, he'll be back in the big leagues uh, in a matter of a day or two uh, with the rosters expanding and he's not uh, slated to start in the rotation uh, over the final three days so the reason between the tea leaves Sean Reed Foley is going to be back in the big leagues sooner rather than later so for him to win the most valuable pitcher and then seeing Sean off the I don't know if it's something he would bring up uh, personally, but I know I had a chance to um, go with the group of he, Anthony Alford, um, and Justin Schaefer went to the local children's hospital in Buffalo, and Sean was one of the first ones to sign up for that and, and going to the, the local hospital and, and how they interacted with the kids. And then we also have um, our own local challenger group um, that, that has their own baseball league out in, in the suburbs. And again, Sean was the first one to sign up for that as well. So seeing Sean both on the field, but what, what he wanted to do off the field as well, uh, being a baseball player with his stature and wanting to use that um, to the fullest potential off the field, I think is, is something that uh, should not go unnoticed. And, and like I said, he probably wouldn't uh, be the first to boast about it. So uh, it, it's definitely something to me that, that goes a long way. Pat, thank you very much for your time. Let's do one more around the nest next week just to wrap everything up. Congratulations on completing your very first season as the Bison's number one voice. Thank you, Jesse. Can't, can't wait to talk to you next week. Beautiful. From Pat Malacaro in AAA Buffalo, 
Let me bring in the voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays, Zach Heldon. Bluefield just completed its first game in the playoffs. It was yesterday. Zach, how wild was that game? It was something none of us expected to going in, Jesse. I thought with Pardino and Baz on the mound uh, starting game one, this was going to be a 2-1, one nothing ball game. <laughs> and through the first two innings, it was 7-all. So we were kind of in shock. Uh, but the Jays clawed through, and the bullpen came up huge. Medina, uh, Espinal, and Andy McGuire closed things down at the end. It was uh, a good night, and those first two innings were the only innings Princeton scored. Uh, Pardino had a, a little rough outing, but uh, the youngster uh, battled. Uh, first outing, he didn't get a strikeout, but uh, – the, the bullpen kind of came in and picked him up, and uh, the Jays lived to play another night, which uh, game two tonight should be interesting. If I told you, hey, Eric Pardino, not going to get an out in the second inning, you're going to be just fine. Yeah, that fits the Bluefield formula, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk with manager Dennis Holmberg here a little later this afternoon, and, and probably the first question was, well, that didn't go as expected. But uh, Pardino, he's been uh, he's been pretty much on all year, so it was kind of sadly almost expected that he would have a bad outing. Uh, but uh, no one thought it would be last night. But uh, the kid, he still, you know, he went right at hitters. He didn't back away, and he's going to be just fine. You know, no one, no one's going to have a perfect year. Uh, Pardino, this was the only outing Pardino uh, got the run support he needed, but uh, just didn't pitch his way out of uh, the first two innings. And uh, he'll learn from it. I think uh, him and Adam Venero, our pitching coach, will get together. And uh, if we can make it through this series, I think we'll see him on the bump early on in the next series, in the championship series. And he'll probably just be Eric Pardino we've seen all year. How much were you partying when De Los Santos and Stevenson went back-to-back? It was it was wild, I tell you, because Princeton had went back to back not only maybe about an inning, two innings before then, so it was uh, it was pretty crazy that you'd have two back to back home runs uh, by separate teams in the same ball game. But uh, De Los Santos, uh, he got into one, and uh, so <laughs> so did uh, uh, I'm losing my track of mind here. Uh, Stevenson had a good ball game, but uh, that back to back home run was definitely what sealed it for Bluefield. Uh, it was just a, an amazing night. And offensively, I, I don't think you could have asked for any more for a Bluefield fan. Uh, Stevenson doing his thing. De Los Santos, they're, they're both great, great leadoff hitters. And De Los Santos in the nine hole and then Cal at the, at the one spot. It's definitely a nice little one-two punch later on in the ballgame, especially if you get, you get both of those guys up in the same inning. Best game that you've ever seen from Jordan Groshan so far? Yeah, he's come along rather nicely. I know once he got off the bus in Bluefield, I was mentioning this on the broadcast last night, he, he got off the bus and had a rough outing, but uh, picked it up the past couple of weeks and another multi-hit game last night. Uh, soundly defensively, he looks good at third base. I know him and De Los Santos were kind of back and forth there when he got got to Bluefield trying to figure out which is better at shortstop. But I think the infield right now is him at third, De Los Santos at short, Lantigua at second, and P.K. Morris doing a great job over at first. I think that's what we're going to see throughout the rest of the playoffs for uh, Dennis Holmberg. Oh, beautiful. And on the pitching side, because you did need pitching, Nicholas Medina stepped it up. Yeah, Medina, uh, the third arm used, he went scoreless uh, for about uh, four and a third, and that was huge. That that was probably the game ball for me going to him because uh, just the way the night was going, seven innings by or seven runs by both teams in the first two innings, you thought, is this going to be a football score by the end of this thing? I thought maybe 28-21, but Medina came in, put his foot down, and threw beautifully. Four and a third, scoreless, as I said. It was uh, it was something to be seen, and and it it sa- not only did it get us the win last night, but it saved a few arms in the pin, because he and uh, McGuire, along with uh, Espinal, pitched great out of the pin, and, and I think that's going to be uh, a key in tonight. I think if we have to go into the pin early, Dennis Holmberg's going to feel rather comfortable with what he's got to go with, and you're playing with house money uh, game two on the road, so I feel great about our chances tonight, and uh, looking for a sweep. 
BluefieldJays.com. Tune in. Listen to Zach with the call. Zach, best of luck, and we'll see how things go from here. Jesse, thank you so much for having me. All right. Sounds good. From Happy League Ball, we'll check in with Vancouver in just a moment. Let's talk Lansing Lugnuts right now. Let me bring in Dante DeCaria. Dante, the Lugnuts are wrapping up their regular season. What have you seen this past week's worth of action? Well, I've seen some great pitching performances, including last night's gem of five innings, one earned run by Maximo Castillo. And, Jesse, other than that, I think this team is uh, is starting to get on the roll going into the playoffs. And they're losing one-run games. I know we had a stat the other day on how the Lugnuts um, are playing in at least, you know, three-quarters of the games are one-run games over the last, you know, month and a half or so. So it's come down to pitching. It's come down to a pretty good bullpen. I think Braden Boucher has done a good job out of the pen. I think Emerson Jimenez is pitching better. Danny Jimenez lights out. He looks like a big league reliever. And um, this team is getting rolling. I think Chavez Young is having himself a great month with 18 stolen bases. He's hitting the ball better. Samad Taylor's hitting better. Vinny Capra is now hitting second in the order. Um, This team just looks a lot better um, from top to bottom. Let's talk Ryan Noda. We can talk about what we've seen, the past week's worth, et cetera. I think it's best, Dante, to think about Noda's entire season as a whole because looking at the advanced stats he has been according to Fangraph the best offensive player in the Midwest League this entire year and Noda just broke the single season walks record for the Lugnuts franchise how about this entire 2018 for Mr. Noda well Jesse I mean you could go turn around and say that you know he's the best offensive player in the Midwest League throughout the whole season but you know part of that's wrong because he um, was walking a lot at the start of the year like he still is right now, but he wasn't hitting the baseball. He was a 180 hitter or 160 hitter going into the uh, the end of uh, May and the start of June. And then all of a sudden, he's hit all 20 of his home runs since May 31st, with that, which is absolutely unbelievable. And then he kept walking. He started getting singles, doubles, triples, home runs, as you just mentioned, picking up his 20th of the year the other night. So, yeah, he's probably been overall – because of his second-half numbers, the best offensive player in the Midwest League. But um, I want to point out how good his defense has been. I remember at the start of the year where he was struggling in left field in April, and then now you can put him in center field or you can put him at first base. He can play anywhere you want. He's so versatile. He's a great teammate. He's a great guy. He hits the ball. He gets on base. And um, he plays good defense. I've actually been really impressed with his defense as of late. Another player who continues to amaze, and we talk about him week after week, and yet I have to go back to him, Chavez Young, three more walks, three more stolen bases, 18 steals, Dante, in the month of August alone. Yeah, and I mentioned that earlier. You're right, 18 steals in the month of August. You pointed it out to me before I uh, I headed out with uh, the team bus to get some food. You know what? Um, I think that when he gets on, and Dave Panel, the first base coach and base running coach, position coach, gives him the green light. He has the most confidence in the world to take second base or to take third base. But one of the reasons why he hasn't got the green light maybe prior to uh, this month is because he was still working on a few things with base running. He said to me that he's just trying to find one key thing in the pitcher. He's trying to find that first move. And if he can identify when he's going to throw a breaking ball or what that first move is, then he's going to get the stolen base. And this year, that's what, uh, or this year he's improved on that. And this month, he's gotten 10 times better at it. The Lansing Lugnuts steals as a team. 195 now for the year. And I saw another comment about this on Bluebird Banter for our thread entering today. This is something, Dante, I don't think we can take for granted. You know what, Jesse? <laughs> it's just been a remarkable season. Um, everybody is contributing. Everybody is, um, is, is playing as a team. You know, I think this is probably one of the best Lugnuts team in history just because, um, you know, everybody's like a family in there. You bring in a new guy, he fits in nicely. Look at what Brian Lazardo's done lately. Jesus Navarro, Freddie Rodriguez has fit in nicely, even a couple of other bullpen arms down the stretch. So uh, it's just a team effort. Any final thoughts for this week? Uh, you know what? Well, I mean, right now I'm at Verizon trying to pay my bill, so it's a little bit uh, kind of <laughs> off topic, but I've been kind of distracted right now. But um, I think that uh, this team will turn it up a notch going into the playoffs. I do believe 
that this team has the talent to uh, to win a championship, and uh, they will, uh, and they and they will eventually, you know, continue to do that. Um, they got three more games left on the season, if, and if they're able to beat Lake County in all three games, they set the franchise record for most wins in the season, and I think that's awesome. Playoff schedule coming up next Wednesday. Lugnuts play out the string here in the regular season through Monday. Tuesday is the exhibition against Michigan State. Wednesday, game one against Bowling Green. Dante, thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Sorry for the... Uh... So that's Diamond Dante DeCaria, my broadcast partner. No worries there. And let me bring in Jordy Cunningham now. And let's talk about the Vancouver Canadians. Jordy, how are you? Good, how are you, Jesse? What's going on? Well, what's going on is you're into your final couple of games of this season, and how tense are things up in the Pacific Northwest? It, it's tense. It's us against Spokane in the final series, three-game series, and we're tied for first heading into these last three games. So winner, whoever wins two out of three is going to the playoffs. How are you feeling about the C's chances? Uh, I'm I'm feeling confident, even though the team has been struggling a little bit lately. We have been faltering. I think we're five and five in our last ten, or maybe even four and six. They've been struggling a little bit, but they, we've owned Spokane this year. We're six and three against them. We've and like and Spokane's Curtis Terry. He's been raking all season. I'm pretty sure he was named MVP of the league the other day, and yet he's I think two for twenty one against Vancouver this year. So I'm feeling pretty confident heading into this final weekend. I'm looking over the numbers right now. Jesus Severino has eaten up Spokane, 6 for 13, a 462 average. Yorman Rodriguez has played well. All right, take me through the starting pitching matchups for each game in the series. Well, when Kelsey's going tonight, and if you're the Canadians, you have to be happy tonight. He struggled a bit in his last start, but two-time pitcher of the week this year was just named pitcher of the year in the whole Northwest League. He leads the league in ERA. As the Canadians, you have to be confident going into tonight. Sunday night is most interesting to me because we have Elio Silva going for the Canadians. He's been awesome all year for us. The lefty has been pitching awesome for us. He struggled here and there, but like the pitching staff has been struggling as a whole lately, but he's been doing like, if he's in a jam, he'll get out of it. He knows how to get out of it. But Sunday Spokane is starting Alex Chichi Gonzalez, a major leaguer on a rehab start. And he'll be the second major league guy the Canadians have faced in three games. So that'll be tough for them for sure. It'll be interesting to watch. And then Monday we have Sean Weimer going. It's the Weimer-Murray piggyback, and they've been great all year, so I'm pretty confident in the pitching matchup in all three games for sure. How long do you think Chi-Chi is going to pitch in that game? Will it only be one inning, two innings? Yeah, I'm sure it'll be one or two innings for sure. Yesterday they had to face uh, Hiyashi Wakuma from Seattle, he was uh, making a secondary half start for Everett last night, and he was pretty impressive, to say the least. So I think it'll be as a hit. If I was in their position, I'd be pumped. I'd be like, I'm going to face a big league pitcher right now. Let's see what I can do against them. This is great. We'll hear Rob Fay on with the call. Vancouver playing at Spokane. Winner of this three-game series advances into the postseason. Jordy, any final thoughts this week? Uh, yeah, I have two for you. He the goal is obviously to make the playoffs, but also something to note is Vancouver has some franchise records to go after in these, in these last three games. They're a triple away and a home run away from tying short season franchise records for most in a season. And Tanner Kerber has a uh, center fielder has six triples on the air, and that's tied for the most in franchise history in the short season. And relief pitcher, Joey Polito, 23 and two-thirds innings on the year, zero earned runs, only two unearned runs. So he's definitely someone to look out for as well. I love it. I'll be watching. I'll be saying, can you top, can you break those franchise marks? Do you have your own Mr. August shirt for Brandon Polizzi? No, I don't. I got to get myself one. I wish I had one. (laughs) I saw the photograph of everyone wearing their Mr. August Brandon Polizzi shirts. Yeah, they're they're hilarious. Well, you should have seen the catch he made the other night. Last Saturday, I believe, it was uh, unbelievable. Marvelous. Jordy Cunningham letting us know about the Vancouver Canadians. Short season Northwest League play. They are the defending champions, and they have won four championships, I believe, in the last seven years. Here's hoping that they go to the postseason for a chance to go after another. Jordy, thank you very much. 
Thank you for having me. Looking forward to doing it again sometime. Well, you're welcome. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler, and this rounds up another edition of Around the Nest. Thank you very much for your patience. Thank you very much for listening and keeping us company and uh, enjoying the information that we are able to share with you. You can absolutely send in questions. Our Twitter handle is at Around Nest. Big thanks to the Minor Leaguer who helps run it with me, Minor underscore Leaguer. We work together trying to bring you the latest observations, insights, and anecdotes from every level along the Blue Jays organization. And you know what? If a player, for example, a Denny Ormoloy gets traded, we love to give you observations from the people who've seen him over the course of the year as well. Thank you once again. You can find us on iTunes. A podcast will be out there, SoundCloud, etc. But for now, for today, we'll take a break. We'll enjoy the baseball the rest of this regular season, and we'll enjoy what the postseason the Blue Jays minor leagues has to offer. <laughs> 